0: The Trouble with Transformation, a serialised podcast by Alison Wynn. Chapter 24, Getting Our Five A Day. Betty Jansen and her family are rich. Not the accidental kind of wealth that you have when your covert government physicist dad just happens to make millions from his pretend sideline kind of wealth. Not the kind you have to downplay or hide. I'm talking filthy, rotten, in your face, rolling in it. For one, there are no McMansions for the Jansons. They don't live in Bottlenose Beach. To be fair, they probably can't. Her dad is always being hounded by the media to provide exclusives on the latest developments coming out of his manufacturing plant in Oka Plains. He never tells them anything, and to make doubly sure they can't go snooping around, he had a high-security housing compound built, and that's where Betty and her family live. Fortunately for us Bottlenose High students, we have Betty for our own exclusives, otherwise we'd never get to know about half the stuff Mr Jansen is working on. And fortunately for Betty and Mr Jansen, the media either haven't worked it out yet, or they're not allowed to approach her at school. On the day after Betty's unfortunate skating incident, Betty, Danny and I headed out of the school gate, and I'm not going to lie, my heart was racing a little. I'd been to Betty's place once before, a couple of years ago, a garden party for her 13th birthday with Brian. But I'd only seen the garden and the laundry. I certainly hadn't attempted anything like Danny and I were about to do. Thinking about that, a bubble of panic rose inside my chest and I almost reached out to Danny, almost said, This is crazy. Let's forget this. But then a vehicle in a league of its own rolled up, and I knew the choice was down to this moment. Go all in for the machine, or walk away from any hope of ever knowing you. (sighs) Guess it was all in then, I suppose. Was there ever really another option? Is that your dad's car, Betty? I asked. Cool on the outside, nerves firing under my skin like a phone exchange. Sure is. We call her Freya. Hi Bruce. Mr Jansen's driver, Bruce, a cheerful looking man with silver peppered black hair, greeted me and Danny with a broad, easy smile. Betty opened the rear door and motioned for us to climb in. I studied the car doubtfully. There was no denying it. The car, Freya, was a thing of beauty, like something straight out of those old black-and-white gangster movies. Despite being covered with a fine layer of red dust, her black body gleamed, her bonnet was long and sleek, her shiny front grille sparkled like a jewelled collar, and her headlights curved like a pair of white claws poised to scratch. Meow! And you should know, Dad, I'm not one to get excited about cars. Mr B's brought enough home during his time, and I thought I'd seen them all. But I was wrong. The problem wasn't so much that Freya didn't look good. She looked fabulous. But she was obviously an old car, and I couldn't picture her bush-bashing it along the scrubby dirt roads of the outback. I said as much to Betty, who dismissed my concerns with a careless wave. Sure Freya's old, but she's hardy. She's a sunbeam Talbot 90, you know. Betty said, as if that should explain everything. Danny and I exchanged a blank look. She might as well have told us the car was a blender on wheels. Sterling Moss came second in the 1952 Monte Carlo rally in one of these, Betty added, with a patient smile. More blank expressions from us. Betty stifled a sigh and made one final attempt to reassure us. Let's just say Daddy has spent a lot of time on Freya. She's no ordinary car. She can go from zero to a hundred in 5.2 seconds, and she doesn't even run on petrol. She runs on compost. Fruit peelings, mostly. Oddly, I felt a lot better knowing that. I should have realised that if it was Mr J's car, then it would be far from ordinary. All the same, I doubted even Mr J could make compost fuel classy. As Danny and I clambered into the sedan, I caught a whiff of something funky. Was it my imagination, or could I smell fermented apples? We left Bottlenose Beach behind, and were soon cruising along a seemingly endless dirt road, the outside landscape stripping back to low silvery shrubs, colour-dotted banksias, and the odd grass tree. Freya's engine purred. We barely felt a bump as the car sailed over jagged stones and loose brush. So how did your dad get into the inventing game? I asked, after a long period of silence. You know, I couldn't really tell you, Betty said, picking out a ragged fingernail cuticle. I know he met mum at uni, and not long after I was born they came here and built the factory. I never thought to ask him. Well, I guess he must have invented something pretty special to be able to build his own manufacturing plant, Danny said. Yeah, Betty said with a shrug and a proud, self-conscious smile. He's had a few, like the wind-powered heat hat, very popular in Russia, and the baby bot, this solar-powered android baby he invented for mums who couldn't have kids. I forced a bright smile. Well, that sounds... creepy, I was thinking. Very visually... progressive. Danny raised his eyebrows at me. What was I supposed to say? I mouthed. Betty didn't notice us. She was still talking. But I suppose he got his big break when he invented the five-a-day fuel. Let me guess, I said. That wouldn't have anything to do with cars, would it? Betty grinned as she unzipped her backpack and fished out her phone. The world is full of eco-warriors with a need for speed. She navigated to a web page entitled... World Rally Zero. See? Daddy's thing has always been alternative fuels, and he loves cars. One weekend he came home all excited from a garden fuel conference when he realised food waste was the exact break he was looking for. I was listening. Part of me wanted to hear about the underlying chemistry behind Mr Janssen's breakthrough, how he'd managed to beef up ordinary fermented fruit and veg to power a turbo engine but my eyes had also located a panel of little knobs and buttons located on the armrest between the driver and front passenger seat. Now they were very interesting. I waggled my eyebrows at Danny, trying to alert him to the intriguing array of buttons, but he was off in his dream world. He seemed more interested in the landscape than anything else. Not that Betty noticed. She cheerfully prattled on about direct fuel injection and torque. I was particularly taken with an amethyst-coloured button. It glittered with a come-hither sheen, and my fingers strayed toward it. But then the memory of the electrified pool party goers sprang to mind. Mr J's stuff was strictly handle with care. I was just about to ask Betty about the button when Danny's elbow jabbed into my ribs. "'What is it?' I whispered. I rubbed my side. "'You have a very pointy elbow.' "'Look!' he whispered, gesturing out the rear window. Someone's following us. I turned and squinted, trying to follow Danny's gaze. Freya was kicking up such a dust cloud I couldn't see much of anything. When I concentrated, I could just make out the faint outline of another car trailing a K or so behind. I swivelled in my seat and leaned my face forward toward the window, but with all that dirt flying around it was difficult to see the car itself, let alone peg down any details. I couldn't get its make, its colour, and most importantly, I couldn't see the driver. Probably just one of the Johnsons' employees coming in from the night shift, I said, trying to sound more convincing than I felt. Mr Bell had been popping up random places and with uncanny frequency. I wondered whether he would make yet another surprise appearance with yet another flimsy excuse. Danny was pale. Mr Makepeace, he whispered. A layer of goosebumps prickled across my arms. It pulled me back to that evening in the schoolyard a few weeks ago, the ghostly outline of a man slipping behind the bushes. Ever since reading the article in the paper, Danny had been fixated on the idea of Mr Makepeace, that he'd somehow done away with Dr Wilson and was now on our tail. Mr B was one thing, i have been giving him the slip since I was eight years old, and despite his increasingly suspicious behaviour, I figured I could stay one step ahead of him. But Mr Makepeace was a shadow in the dark. Was he simply a figment of our overactive imaginations, or a silent assassin? I hoped we were both wrong. Do you often see many other people along this road? Danny asked Betty. The outline of the other car was clearly visible now gaining ground. Betty's brows briefly knitted together, then she smiled in a smug, secretive sort of way. No, not often, she said, and if we do, we don't see them for long. Most of them can't keep up. Bruce, we've got a live one, Betty shouted. She banged her hand down on the purple button. The car shot forward, veering dangerously to the left. Bruce nodded and jerked the wheel. The vehicle righted itself, propelling onward to the Jansen factory and its imposing pearly white outline, rising out of the flat red haze. I wish you'd give me a bit more heads up sometimes, Betty, Bruce said with a wry smile. Betty giggled. "Oh, Bruce, where'd the fun be in that? Now this was more like it. We were whipping along the road, cutting through the red dust like a speedboat powering across a glassy lake. I would have grinned with the thrill of it all, but my cheeks were travelling a second or so behind the rest of my face. "Sh!" surely you can't manage this kind of speed on compost,' I said, hoping Betty could hear me over the sound of the engine. "'This?' Betty said through chattering teeth. "'No, of course not. "'This type of speed requires something special like Daddy's pear, Schnapps.' She laughed. "'That stuff kicks like a cornered bronco.' can't tell whether we've lost the other car, Danny called out. There's too much dust now. It should be fine, Betty said. We'll be in the compound any minute now, and those scavengers can rot in the desert waiting. They won't try it on again if they know what's good for them. So this happens a lot then? Danny asked, looking hopeful. Yeah, Betty sighed. Ever since Daddy invented the five a day, it's been a pretty regular occurrence we get a steady stream of spies working for rival manufacturers or reporters trying to get a scoop on the next big thing. Anyway, we're here now. Sure enough, the car was hurtling toward a very tall, very solid-looking cement-rendered wall. Is he going to be our just- My scream mingled with Danny's as we braced for impact. I threw my arms up, crossing them in front of my body and face. There was nothing. No shattering of glass? no splintering of bone, nothing. I peeled open an eye, and to my horror, another wall was flying toward us, albeit at a much slower pace. But at that last moment, a split appeared, and two great hinged slabs of cement folded back to reveal a cavern lined with cars. Bruce slid the car into an empty space between a DeLorean DMC-12 and a Lotus Esprit, and we came to a halt.